0: You're a human, right? Or as a facilitator, anyone that's in front of a room, people want to relate to you. They want to feel a connection to you. And and when you can just open up a little bit and, and show some of your humanity, that it's such a valuable way to facilitate and to lead groups. They then feel a connection to you that they otherwise wouldn't feel. So I'm a huge proponent of that. I think when you do that, The rest of the event, whether it's a day or a week long, they're more inclined to want to listen and be a part of the journey that you're taking them down.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Making Better podcast, where we talk about making ourselves, our teams, and our organizations better. My name is Matt Jertson, the founder of Better Everyday Studios, and I promise you, whether you are a business leader, a talent development professional, or an individual contributor, this show will give you actionable insights to help improve your own performance and the performance of those around you. Billy has led learning and development at some incredibly disruptive organizations, including Tesla, where he was the head of global sales and product training. Let me say that again. He was the head of global sales and product training at Tesla. He is currently CEO and co-founder of Podify, a podcast production company, and is the host of the business podcast, Insight Out. Before we get into the discussion, I want to remind you that if this is the first time you've listened to this show, make sure you subscribe so you never miss a future episode. And if you're already subscribed, I would just ask that you share this show with one other person because that is how we grow. I can't tell you how much it means to me. And so with that, let's get into the discussion. Billy, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing awesome after that intro, man. Thanks. You're making me blush over here, but uh, a beautiful day. Great talking with you as always. I enjoy our conversation, so excited to have this one.
1: Yes, I'm really excited too. And I have to say, you know, you and I have known each other for, for quite a number of years now, but I feel like in getting ready for this episode, doing kind of research for the show, a lot of things really clicked with me of thinking about kind of kind of your life because amazingly I, I had no idea that the first thing you did kind of in your professional life is that you made an award-winning movie about psychedelics of all things and when I kind of look at your career from there till now I, I get a sense that there's like a true like a real through line kind of a, a consistent thing that goes along with with all the different roles that you have um, do you do you see that.
0: Yeah, I do. And it's funny you say that you've noticed a thread because it took, it took a whole lifetime for me to notice it. And the word that I came back to was experience. It's, it's the experience. And whether it be a training or a movie or even a party, I used to do big elaborate New Year's Eve parties. I always care about what the experience is of others. And I'm a detail guy. I do think about all the little nuance. I like to surprise people. I like to make something that is memorable, that people will tell other people about it. And that type of mindset and principle is is what I've done with no matter what I've done, whether it be the training or a movie or all those things. That's the way I've processed and the way in which I built those was with that kind of mindset.
1: Yeah. That's so, it's so interesting that it's kind of like you start from that experience point of view, because I think, you know, when you think about traditional people in talent development, very often it's people who start from kind of the knowledge perspective, right? They were a subject matter expert or they were a teacher. Um, given the background that I had, there's a little bit more of like that behavioral element. I don't think there's a lot of people that start from that point of view of what is this experience going to look like? How do you, is, you know, so when you're thinking about training engagements is is that truly where you start of like what's the experience I want to have and then kind of like back into everything else?
0: yeah, and it's it's interesting because I, I kind of fell into training. I came I came from sales and you know as you mentioned, I was a, a, in entertainment, so made a movie, realized that making movies doesn't necessarily pay the bill. <laughs> okay, what am I gonna do next? by complete chance, found myself in the renewable energy space doing sales. And had a knack for sales, so they're like, "Okay, you should train people." So, okay, sure, I'll train sure. People. And so, I didn't know what I didn't know, and I think sometimes having that rookie smarts helps. Yeah. To answer your question, I th- I think I naturally approached it with, if I were the student, what kind of experience would I want? And yeah. this idea in psychology known as the peak end rule. I didn't actually know this rule at the time, but I discovered it and realized that that was a big part of the training success, which is you need highlights and you need a strong ending. And that could be for the day. That could be for the, for the entire training event. That could even be for the first part of the day is yeah. that you want like anything that's separated. You want it to have a moment or a few moments that stand out and you want to end really, really strong. And so yeah. when I would instruct the training experience, I would, Try to make that happen with every segment and with the training as a whole. While, of course, remembering that there needs to be some outcomes that are going to allow us to get the result that we're looking for. So for me, it was like, okay, I could do role-playing or I could do American Idol style of (laughs) role-playing.
1: Yeah.
0: We have Randy, Simon, and Paula, and we're giving real-time feedback with those judges. Or I could give people a knowledge check test or... I could do family feud where I divide the room into two. And so I don't want to do a boring training. I want to do something that people are going to tell their friends about. And yeah. that's the type of trainings we created.
1: Interesting. Did you ever, I've heard of other people doing things like this, where did you kind of have like a grab bag of potential like exercises and interactions that you'd done before that you like, know just, you know how to set them up. You know how to fit them in that you kind of like pull from those to match them to different training experiences.
0: Yeah, definitely. Over time, we we developed sort of a core group. There were some staples that we did almost every time, yep. but yep. then we to get creative and bring new ones in. I mean, we for a modeling exercise, we had a dance that we taught everybody. So we're teaching people the, this is for like leadership development. Yeah, you, modeling the right behaviors. We we wanted yeah. to implant that concept in a really meaningful and memorable way. Yeah. So we actually did. If you've seen uh, Napoleon Dynamite, we did the dance from Napoleon Dynamite. And we had people model, and we actually did it in different ways. And so we yeah. could teach people about the different learning styles. You could yeah. teach them by modeling. You could teach them by showing them. You could teach them by writing out the instructions. And the, and the goal was to really show them that when you physically model something, that's going to leave the best impression because it, it, yep. it does a lot of the learning mechanisms all in one.
1: Yep. And
0: it visually shows people what to do, and then you get the best results.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Just kind of double click on this peak end rule and, and how important this is. Cause I was, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who does a lot of pretty emotional training. Like they really get into a lot of deep stuff to try to help uncover like, um, uh, just to help people be them their best selves. And it's it's a very kind of, there's a lot of expo- emotional exposure that happens in it. And when I was asking her how, how she did that, she talked about how she just starts right out of the gate, being incredibly open herself and kind of sets the tone for the whole event. And I think that there's one thing that it's easy for us to fall into in Talent development in instructional design is there's like these like rules of like standard best practices yeah. where kind of if you do it this way, it'll at least be okay. You know, it won't like totally fall on its face where you just, you know, you introduce yourself, you introduce the objectives, and it's just a very slow way to get into stuff and it sets the expectation in the learner, oh, I've I've seen this before. Like I I know where this is going, and so I gotta believe that starting out strong just really helps you set the tone for for the whole rest of the event. You have to
0: right. We did a big all hands meeting when Solar City was acquired by Tesla, and I my I could not figure out how to start it. I was like, this has this is Tesla, right? Like it's got to be good. So I said, okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna think, what would Elon do? I literally got a Model S and figured out a way to craft a ramp up to a stage. And I was the MC. So I drove, I had we we played like um, it was like ACDC or something like that. Rolled up, this is at a big warehouse, rolled up the the warehouse uh, gate, yep. and all of a sudden you see the Model S, the Model S comes onto stage. And then I come out and do my best Elon impression. But it was memorable, man. It was like, yeah. it, I could have just walked up, but I was like, okay, how can I flip this on its on its head? But you're right. You yeah. got to start strong. And the other thing that I loved what you said is this vulnerability. I think as trainers, you're a human, right? Or as a facilitator, any anyone that's in front of a room, people want to relate to you. They want to yeah. feel a connection yeah. to you. And, and when you can just open up a little bit and, and, Show some of your humanity that uh, it's such a valuable way to facilitate and to lead groups. They then feel a connection to you that they otherwise wouldn't feel. So I'm a huge proponent of that. I think when you do that, the, the rest of the event, whether it's a day or a week long, they're more inclined. To want to listen and be a part of the journey that you're taking them down.
1: Yeah, well, I love that you went there because that was kind of the next thing that I mentioned. Because you know, when you say you're you're having people do you know kind of American Idol style stuff or learning learning dances, I can hear listeners be like, "Well, that would never fly in my company. Like, I'm never going to get people to dance." (laughs) How how do you? get people to engage like is it just mm-hmm. that eventually over time like it's no i mean now maybe tesla has a different energy than you know there's certain energy that different companies have but how do you because talking about vulnerability like there's nothing worse than like creating a learning experience and then it takes two to tango and so like the other people don't <laughs> show up how, how yeah. do you make sure how do you make it sure it's it's successful
0: well you know listen i think humans are humans and so yeah there might be some some companies that might initially resist or frown or boohoo an unorthodox approach. And so I would, I would try, you know, start small. You don't need to yeah. do a dance to start. <laughs> yeah. Do something that's going to allow you to, to win over not only the learner, but of course, your, your customer, which is the company, right? You, whether or not yep. you're a full-time employee, or if you're a contractor, the the boss is, is the, you know, the company is the client, right? So you want to yeah. make sure that they support you. And then it's, it's like anything, stakeholder management, you got to walk them through this. You got to be able to explain to them, what's the value? Why are you doing it? What results yeah. have you seen in the past? So the reason why we do it is we believe that experiences, they last they're yeah. they, they touch you. So like we did, when we did a a big change management initiative, where we were teaching the, the Tesla team and, and, and transferring a bunch of people from Solar City to a new sales process. We did a full day event where, I mean, it had everything from teaching people how to make paper airplanes, to go into a bowling alley, to like doing all these crazy what you would think are completely unrelated things. But because we created an experience, people remembered those things. Yeah. And to this day, they, they remember that. And yeah. so we're, we're trying to change the neural pathway that exactly. exists. And if you do the same or if you do what's expected, people tune that out for the yep. same reason if you were to drive from point A to point B on a daily basis, somebody asks you at point B, like, do you remember the drive? You don't remember it because you've nope. done it over and over and over again. But if you had to take a detour or if there was an accident or if something happened that was not normal, you're going to pay more attention. Like yep. if you go on a vacation, you remember your vacation more than you remember your day to day. And so yep. what we want to do is we want to put people in a type of environment, an atmosphere, and an experience that will challenge the status quo and give them a unique experience that they won't forget.
1: Yep. hundred percent. And I would also say that, you know, if if people are a little bit uncomfortable, that's actually a good thing too because that's going to help with the learning. You know, we are a great, you know, we are hardwired to remember emotional experiences because mm-hmm. it you know, 10,000 years ago, emotional experiences weren't coming from a movie. They were coming from a situation <laughs> that was life and death, right? Like that's where emotional experiences came from. And so we will remember those things a lot more. Awesome. The, uh, yeah, that I think there's a lot of things that could be said about pushing learning and development and especially facilitation there's a lot of room in a lot of organizations to push facilitation to a, a, a new level and starting with those small steps I'm sure I'm sure is, is is the most sure way to get there when when you so you spent all this time building these amazing experiences at Tesla then you left Tesla went to the Podcast start started a podcasting company and started a podcast. How how did that transition happen? It was still around this idea of experiences. I'm, I'm guessing, but how did that transition happen?
0: You know, when I left, I was like, okay, I I wanted to get off my corporate surfboard for a while, but I just didn't. It's hard to leave a yeah. disruptive company. You mean you know? I mean you know. Yeah. I mean, you know yeah. It's like to leave a SpaceX or to leave a Tesla or to leave a Apple or a Disney or any of these like game changer companies. You got to have a really good reason and when you leave, what next? Like how do you outdo Tesla? How do you outdo SpaceX? And so I wasn't looking to outdo it, but I did want to think about like how do I continue to make an impact and how do I expand my impact and then how do I scratch that creative itch that I've always had and that deep curiosity that I have had my whole life. I mean, when I was an eight-year-old, I was going around at family reunions with a little tape recorder dates me, but you know, and interviewing everybody. And so the, the podcast medium made sense. It's got intimate, right? I'm, I'm talking to somebody like literally like whispering in their ear, right? Yeah. That's,
1: yeah,
0: that's yeah. a power. The, the vibration of a human being's voice is incredibly, it, it captures your emotion. And, and so that's, so you got the intimacy, then you have frequency because you release a podcast every month, every week, every other week, whatever that may be, you have that going on on a frequent basis. And then you have duration, right? Like podcasts can be 30, 40 minutes long or an hour long. And and so you get to know people really well. So I thought, okay, I already inherently am naturally curious. I like creating experiences. The podcast seemed like a nice fit. And then when I created my own show, I realized, okay, this is a lot of work. I mean, I had made movies Movies take hundreds of people, literally, and I and yeah. I and you know. So I learned how to m- make something creative with hundreds of people. Luckily, a podcast you don't need that many, but you still do need you know five ten people to make a to make a show. You know, especially if you're going to try to get it out there and do all those things. So it's like I found an editor, audio. I found a video editor. I found a show notes person. I found a, a social media person. And it's like okay, if I need help, surely others do as well which then led to the formation of Podify. Mm-hmm. And so now, yeah. you know, now we we do a, a ton of different shows and different genres. And, and yeah. all kind of with the same idea, which is helping people with thought leadership well, get their message makes out there.
1: A lot of sense then that you know you, you were looking to start a pod you, you were looking to start a podcast because of that connection you were getting with folks and then in your search for help you kind of created the the rest of the of the company because you realized I need help, other people's need help, other people probably need help. Specifically with the podcast. So your podcast is called Insight Out, which I love. I love, you know, I've listened to many episodes. I think it's it's really great how you're talking to these really successful people to come up with these kind of key moments of insight that they've had. In in your discussions, have you found that when it comes to some some of these people who are really successful, are there common key moments of insight that really move them forward in their lives?
0: Yeah, there there really are. I mean, there are a lot of different ones. But I would say some of the more universal ones, I heard this today. As a matter of fact, I interviewed Kevin Harrington. He was one of the first guys on Shark Tank. It's don't wait for perfect. Mm. I I see this all the time. You got to be quick to act. And so he's a great example. What, What he did is he basically invented the infomercial. So he didn't wait for like a perfect business plan to invent the infomercial he found that when he had cable, there was six hours of cable that was not playing anything. So he called the cable company kind of complaining like, oh yeah, that's because they don't have enough. This is, you know, in the eighties, they don't have enough content to to show 24 seven. Right. So he's like, well, can I put something there? And that was what led to the infomercial, but he didn't wait for perfect. So I think that's one key thing that I think a lot of us, especially those who have perfectionist tendencies, we kind of our our own worst enemy where we put barriers in front of us that prevent us from doing what we're capable of doing because we're waiting for something to be perfect. And a great workaround for this. And I learned this on one of my shows is think inversions. So Mm. your version one is your version one. It doesn't need to be a version ten. And if you do this and you really mentally compartmentalize your, your, control, because that's what it comes down to is you're trying to control. Allow yourself to release something before you think it's ready. Even if it's only 60, 70% of the way there, chances are it's much further along than you think you're just trying to control it too much. And you won't get that feedback if you wait for version 10 and release that yes. as your version 1. And so yeah. think versions.
1: Interesting. I mean, that's you know really the one of the key things that Elon has done at both Tesla and SpaceX, you know, that we've experienced, um, it makes a lot of sense. It's something that, and and I think there's a big lesson for that specifically inside of learning as well, where it can be really easy to get in a development cycle of a course and just, you know, keep digging down and trying again and trying again, and you never really get true feedback from your customer and so the more we can think of things in versions i'm i'm sure i'm sure the the better any any course would be did you did you have something like that at all at, when you were at tesla of like versioning a lot of your content
0: yeah i, th- I think we we had to because some things th- there was such a quick turnaround yeah and as you know right like if elon says it it happens so yeah. there's no delay like that's not there's no room for excuses there's no possibility for that. So in some cases, because of the short timeline, we were forced to do that. Yeah. And and that's a great thing. I mean, I one of my bosses there, he taught me this great metaphor. It says, you got to land the plane. And you, we, as as people who likely put a lot of planes in the air, in the mm-hmm. form of projects, we got to land them. And if mm-hmm. you don't do what's necessary to land them, whether that be do a crash landing, you know, and just abort the mission Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. find a co-pilot to help somebody land the plane or replace the pilot, right? Get somebody else to land the plane. You got to land the plane. And the more planes you have in the air, psychologically, mentally, it's exhausting. And even if you're not the one sort of controlling all the planes, being that you have so many in the air, you're going to get sidetracked. You're not going to be able to through the task switching and all the things that go into starting and stopping whatever you're, it is you're doing, you, you got you to land some of them, which, which is another yeah. insight, by the way. It's like prioritization is probably one of the most crucial tasks that any leader can do for themselves mm-hmm. and for their team. Because mm-hmm. people don't know what the priority is unless you implicitly guide them to what that priority is. And that's a yeah. theme that I see with a lot of these high-level leaders. It's like, where are they spending their time? They're spending their time on the most crucial activities that they can and that they should. I mean, not in all cases. Some of them mismanage their time, but that's the goal at least, right? Like spend your time doing the things that you and only you should be doing. And then the other things, outsource, delegate, right? Or, or, you know, eliminate and have somebody else uh, either, you know, do it or completely get it off your list.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's I remember hearing a way that Jeff Bezos liked to think about this with Amazon, where when he thinks about leadership hierarchies, he basically thinks about the timeline for impact of your decisions. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if you are a frontline worker, then your decisions are having an impact in that moment. Right? like that is that is the level of your decisions. And as you go higher and higher, your decisions should be farther and farther in the future. So by the time Jeff Bezos was leading Amazon, the decisions that he was making day to day shouldn't really have an impact for like five years. right Like oh, wow. that's the kind of time horizon he should be looking at. And exactly like you said, anything below that, if it's an effect, if it's going to have an effect this year or this month or this, you know this week, Somebody else should be making that decision because that's not something that he should be spending his time on. That's interesting. Um, I love that. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I
0: think, I think, in, in to, but to your point, and I think it was one of the, it's like that's his timeline. Somebody else's timeline of what, where they're thinking of the, yes. the point of impact will be very, very different. Yes. And, and you need both, right? Yes. Not everybody can be no. the visionary CEO of one of the biggest companies in the history of mankind. Not everyone's going to be that person. Yeah, But, you know, you do need the team, right? And same thing with Elon. Elon, you, you and I both know, he surrounds himself with so many talented people. And yes, he's going to have the big picture vision and will think 10 years or even 100 years or many hundreds of years into the future. I mean, that's where he's at, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. But you do need other people to to balance that out that are going to think in the more short-term things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and in, in fact, I think he's a great example. This is at least just like my opinion of what I've seen I think when when his organizations are the most successful, it is when he does have those key leaders underneath him and around him who can take on some of those other responsibilities. And when there's struggles, is when he doesn't have at least all the ones that he needs, and and he's starting to get into the day to day a little bit more.
0: <laughs> That's such a great point, man. And I, I mean, I didn't work at SpaceX, but I, from what I can tell, the the CEO, um, I forget her name, but she she seems like that person. And exactly. Uh, Conversely, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention anybody by by name, but I've seen firsthand where he needed to embed himself. Call it in sales, for example. I'm not saying he, that's what it is, but let's just, yeah, you know, if he needs to embed himself in sales or in marketing or in finance or whatever it may be, that's then detracting from the big picture thing that he needs to be yes. working on. And so, this is a great case for you got to fi- you got to build your team. You got to find the team that's allows you to to thrive in the areas where you, where you thrive best.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we have these insights that you've seen, you know, it's thinking inversions and making sure you maintain your priority. I think one of the things that's you know, so often said about common sense, it's not that common, right? You know, and we can all have these insights. What makes a difference? You know, you've talked to these really successful people. What makes the difference between somebody who has an insight and doesn't do anything versus has an insight and it leads to action? Mm-hmm. What, what commonly causes that to happen?
0: Well, yeah, and I think the other piece to insights that we can't forget and we need to think about is putting ourselves in position to have them. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned w- while at Tesla was a moment of insight is more often happening when you quiet your prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And so this little part of your brain that's right past your forehead, it's the decision making CEO of your, of your mind, of your brain, and it's overworked. And David Rock, who has a great book called Your Brain at Work, and he says that your prefrontal cortex is about the size of a, a quarter or maybe 50 cents. The rest of your brain, the subconscious part of your brain is like the entire US economy. And yet this small part controls so much of our decision-making, strategizing, all those things, right? But it's overworked. It's constantly thinking. And so if you go for a run, or go to the gym or take a walk or even go to the bathroom or take a shower all of a sudden these insights they happen and mm. so i think put yourself in a position to have more insights by quieting your mind so that's one okay as far as like how to implement i think because you put yourself in a position to quiet your mind i think reflection matters to a point not only to have the insight but also to think about how you can apply that insight because Mm -hmm. we we have so many thoughts throughout the day, but if we don't take the time to, again, quiet our mind, even an insight of how to leverage an insight will happen when your mind is quiet. Mm -hmm. So I think it plays in both cases, both to have the insight, but also Mm -hmm. to think about implementation. And then I, the other thing I think is that what I see very common amongst high achievers is speed to implementation. Mm -hmm. So they don't delay. And often what happens for those that perhaps are not quick to implement, it gets forgotten and then it gets pushed aside because it's forgotten and it's not something that you're actively doing. But when you act quickly, even if it's not perfect, you do something to allow yourself to implement a insight or a perspective or a new approach, all of a sudden things start to happen but you got yeah. to implement quickly.
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, Tony Robbins talks a lot about this, where he talks about taking massive action when, whenever you have a goal or some idea that you want to do, it's like, if you say, I want to lose weight, don't and You're you're on the couch, you're sitting there. I, I really need to lose some weight, get up immediately and go clean out your fridge. Right. It's like right in that take, take that first step, go outside and go for a walk, go for a run. It's all about like the faster you can do it, but it really comes back to what you were saying about the insights themselves as well is it's about prioritization. It's about versioning. It's about, you know, in order to get that speed, you have to first prioritize in a way that gives you the space to have the insight, to think about how to act on it. And then when you are going to act, be willing to do a version one action and knowing that there will be a version two and a version three. So that's probably how people can speed up their time to action, I would imagine.
0: 100%, man. And I love how you tied everything together. It's it's They all kind of work in harmony if you're able to, to do something quickly and also realize that it doesn't need to be perfect. And, and yeah, I mean, Atomic Habits is a great example. If you want to go for a run more, put your shoes by the door. Like little, tiny, minute things that you might not think anything of puts you in a better position to start to build the behaviors and the habits that you want that are the long-term yeah. things that will help you in the areas where you need most help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Well, as we, I want to respect your time. So, you know, as, as we close out here, I want to, we, we have a couple kind of rapid fire questions that we tend to end with. The first one is what is one book or podcast that everyone should read or listen to other, other than your own? We're, we're definitely going <laughs> to tell everybody to, to watch your to listen to sure, your own. Sure.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate, I appreciate that, man. Well, my favorite business book is The E-Myth. And the reason mm, it's my favorite yeah. business book is I'm a big believer in systems, big believer in creating process that allows you to duplicate. When you develop a process, it takes the burden off the person. doesn't mean the person's not important. The person is important, but you get to have both. You get to have really high quality, high achieving, talented people, and also have the systems and process for the same reason that another great book, Checklist Manifesto, when you create a checklist, you, you know, you obviously know this as well as anyone if you're in the military, if you're in the Air Force, if you're a pilot, you have a checklist. When a doctor, a surgeon, they have a checklist. So why then, as a business owner, do you not have a checklist, right? So 100%. having that dialed in, having that process dialed in, I think is crucial. And what the e teaches is that the McDonald's of the world and the Subways and all these different companies, I don't know if they reference Subway because it's pretty old, but Point being is that they duplicate so well, so that a McDonald's here and a McDonald's in Australia and a McDonald's in Italy all serves basically the same food because of the systems. And the E Myth really clearly outlines that philosophy.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I love I love both of those books. I think those are those are great recommendations. When it comes to your oh, reflecting on your own life. What one skill do you think has most helped you be successful?
0: Without a doubt, it's it's connecting. It, you, who, not how, right? Yeah. It's, it's who you know is always going to trump. How do you do it, right? It, you'll figure out the how if you find the who. Yeah. And so life is a series of opportunity to connect with people who could change your life. And if you treat it like that, you'll be able to have a very rich and fulfilling and purpose-filled life because of the the human beings in your life. Yeah. And my dad, who luckily is still here with us, and, and I got to see him last week for lunch, he modeled what that looks like. And if I could give two tips, it, one is the power of laughter. When you <laughs> laugh and and share humor with people, it connects you. It's like a super strength bond between you and other Love human beings. That's one thing. The other thing is most people are really bad at keeping in contact with old friends. So here's a little trick. I learned this from Jordan Harbinger, although I kind of did it before he taught me this, but it's looking at your text messages, yes, going back in time, going back to like, I don't know, a year, two years, three years ago yes. and engaging in conversation and make sure that you are clear that it's not, hey, I got an MLM that I'm sharing with you or something like that. (laughs) Because people's guards, you know, these days kind of go up. Yeah, so just like, hey, I'm just, I was thinking about you, saw this text, wanted to reach out and say, hi, it's been a while. How you doing? Maybe give an update on yourself. What this does is it makes you top of mind. Yeah. And you never know what that could end up being. It might be that you help them, which is, what's more rewarding than helping other people? It might be that they... Say, oh, I have somebody, I was thinking about you and I want to refer you business. It might be that you meet up with them for a lunch or a coffee or whatever, but point being is nurture those old relationships, those loose ties, those dormant ties that, that maybe have fallen off. Yeah. And then all of a sudden your reservoir of connections is, is always full. And yeah. I, I think people who do this effectively have a really rich life and they say the number one contributing factor to happiness is connection.
1: Mm-hmm yeah, hundred percent. And there's actually, yeah, there's a lot of studies now from like, even from, you know, primate groups and stuff talking about how it's, it's not the most powerful chimp, it's the most connected chimp. It's the mm. one that, you know, it's, it's interesting.
0: Really? So, I had not heard that, but that's fascinating. Yeah, I,
1: I think it was, I, I think it might've been like a, a study of bonobos where they were basically right. looking at different, they were looking at different alpha males. And which yeah. ones lasted the longest? Huh. And the the strongest, most violent males had the shortest and most violent times <laughs> in power, right? And the ones who lasted the longest were the ones who were basically they they had it was like the people who or the the bonobos that exhibited the most grooming behavior, where they had the most yeah. grooming partners of you know like checking each other for for insects and stuff. So, <laughs> well, I think bonobos, like I think, are
0: like the closest relatives, right? Like, like yeah, yeah. us. I think, like, from a genetic so.
1: standpoint. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> that's nuts. Crazy. Um, okay, so then, final question: Given all of your experience working in different organizations, what do you think? What do you see as the most common opportunity for organizations to improve their talent development? I think this
0: goes beyond. I mean, it goes beyond talent development. I think in general, we do too much of iterative processing and trying to make things slightly better than the thing before. And just because things that exist, exist, doesn't mean it was existing in the right way. And you know where I'm going with this, it's first principles thinking. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: I, I think, you know, part one is remembering who you're doing it for and why they would be, who you're doing it for, what it will take for it to have the impact and the outcome that you want and over the long term. And so if you're going to build something from the ground up where you're not just looking at, is it, uh, you know, slightly better than what was before, but no, like let's re let's reimagine this. And then the the second part, and this is as important is you got to get clear on deliverable outcomes of implementation. Because theory is great. Concepts Mm -hmm. are great. Knowledge is great. Are people actually taking action? And so I would over-index on outcome effectiveness. How is what we're doing and teaching actually being applied in the field? So if it's sales training, for example, how is it changing the behaviors of the salespeople to yield the outcomes that you want, either from close rate or customer experience or follow-up, or whatever the things are that you're working on. Is it actually moving the needle? And then get real with why it is or is not. If it is, great. Like Keep doing more of that. If it is not, determine what the is not cause is, and then make the adjustment from there. So again, first principles thinking, don't reason by analogy. Think about building it from the ground up with the outcome in mind, and then check those outcomes by being laser-focused at what are the the, the actionable things that need to happen and the ultimate ultimate outcomes, how do we check for those and make sure they're, they're really happening?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of brutal honesty in there that you need to really look at if something's going to be effective. so Which doesn't
0: happen enough. I mean, that's it the doesn't. thing. It's like, it's yeah. so common where you do a training and then the, 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 just, that's it. And it's yep. like, you just kind of think, okay, well, the training happened. So I checked, it's it's what I call check the box. yeah You check the box, but did it do what you wanted it to do? And if it didn't, what's the point? It's just a waste. Yeah. Waste of your time, waste of the money, waste of the the time of the student. Figure out how to make it so it's not check the box.
1: Yeah. No, that's perfect. Awesome. Well, Billy, it is always such a pleasure to chat with you. I thought this was great. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it. Um, thank you so much. We'll make sure to you know, share your podcast in the notes below so people can check out uh, Insight Out. They can check out Podify. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day, rest of your week. And we're, we're coming up on Thanksgiving as, as we're recording anyway. So I hope you and your family have a really happy Thanksgiving.
0: Likewise, Matt. And, and happy Thanksgiving to you, to your family. It's a pleasure. I'm uh, super grateful for our friendship and looking forward to continuing uh, you know all the things that that you're doing and, and that I'm doing, and hopefully we can continue to work together, collaborate, and enjoy each other's company, man. it's been a, it's been a real um, it's been an honor. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much,. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.